Today's episode of the Movie Goats podcast is brought to you by Nell Supplies Company, the original Palm and Pine. With summer around the corner, it's the perfect time to pick up t-shirts, shorts, shorts, hats, and more. Perfect for the beach, lake, or a hike in the mountains. Check out the newest offering at nellsupplyco.com. That's N-E-L-L-E-S supplyco.com. In Nell's, it's always a great day to have a day. We had blank walls. We hung things. We picked out tiles together. Then you know what happens? Six months later, you find yourself singing Surrey with a fringe on top in front of Ira. When Harry Met Sally, up next. Welcome into episode three of the Movie Goats podcast. And today we're tackling Rob Reiner's 1989 romantic comedy, perhaps the ultimate romantic comedy, the first romantic comedy starring Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. It is When Harry Met Sally. As always, John on the mic here with Brady and Brian. And before we get into the uh, feature today, let's kick it off by saying hey to the boys. Brady, what uh, what have you been up to? How was your week going? I just, uh, 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 at the top of this, I want to say I'm kind of disappointed that you didn't, uh, for that opening quote, you didn't do the de- the deli scene. I thought you were going to do the little fake orgasm for us, but, you know, we can't always get what we want. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, been watching, watched up when Mar- Harry met Sally. That means I had a good week so far. Absolutely. Brian, what about you? How are things going up in our nation's capital? Not bad. Uh, uh, good, relaxing weekend. We uh, hit the golf course. We did some yard work. I cleaned the gutters. Um, pretty uh, suburban, I guess, American weekend on my end. Uh, now the week's off to a quick start. So all, all good on my end. Got to watch When Harry Met Sally. I actually had never seen it before. So although it's one of those movies where I, I saw scenes and I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like I've seen this scene. But I don't think I'd ever seen it from start to finish. So was happy to do that on Saturday night with my wife. And uh, yeah, excited to talk about it. Awesome. And so right into it. I mean, this is uh, the third episode of the podcast. Uh, we've each picked one and this was Brady's turn to to toss out a movie. And he picked out when Harry met Sally, definitely a departure from uh, what we had been doing. So Brady, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the movie when you first saw it, how many times you've seen it. And uh, why did you think that this was a, a film worthy of the pot? Uh, it's interesting when I'm trying to think back I can't remember the first time I saw it but I do remember that I wasn't like head over heels for it I remember thinking it was a really good movie but then and, and when I say like I can't remember it was over 10 years ago and now I realize it's one of those movies that I just return to every one or two years I feel like maybe even once a year I watch it it's like it shows all the different seasons in New York but maybe because of the movie poster it like looks like fall because they have like the orange leaves and stuff. So I feel like every fall, there's like there's a certain whole genre of fall movies, kind of like um, Dead Poet Society, I feel is like that. Uh, uh, Son of a Woman, all those movies. I don't even know if they necessarily, Son of a Woman's definitely a fall movie. But it's a movie I kind of return to a lot. And I just feel like there's something to be said about a movie that's super, you know, for lack of a better word, rewatchable, right? Like, I think I've, as I've gotten older, I find myself returning to certain movies over and over again. 
And it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's almost like a magical thing. And it feels like it's comfort food. It's like a warm blanket. And this is the rom-com I feel like that has stood the test of time for me more than any others in a way that I'm always surprised when I like, I realized it was a realization I had when we, when we, when I chose it as the episode, because I wanted to do a romantic comedy since we've done two action movies. I was like, let's like shift gears a little bit. And this is the one that kept on popping up into my head when I was looking at all the different options. And I don't know. I just, that that's what it is. Ultimately it's like that comfort meal. It gives me the warm, fuzzy feelings about it. Um, and it's also really funny, I feel like. So I think it's one of those rare comedies that stood the test of time in a really big way. And I feel like it's always still relevant, even if it has a little, uh, some backwards thinking to it. But at the same time, it's it plays because it, this is what it is. Ultimately, it's about two charming people and two charming people on screen together that have great chemistry. It works. Yeah. And so, Brian, you mentioned this was your first viewing. What, uh, preconceived notions did you have about the film what did you heard did anybody really hype it up for you um and without giving your score away obviously did it live up and like I mean I'm assumed that you had seen the diner scene and things of that nature and and so just what was your overall first impression so I always knew it was kind of an iconic movie like when you hear the title when Harry met Sally like you, you know what people are talking about you know it's one of the I guess you would say original romantic comedies, at least in the definition that we use today for that word um, or that genre. So uh, I was excited to dive, dive into it. Um, thought it was, it, I would say that um, expectations were exceeded, but I think it wasn't like an immediate journey there. I think it, the start of it, I was like kind of warming up to the characters. I was like, can I get through this Billy Crystal performance for an entire movie but i think he matures a lot throughout the movie which i'm sure we'll talk about later um and i think the it ended very well um so it took me some time to kind of warm up to it but i feel like all great movies are are often that way where you're kind of like i'm not so sure about this you know it doesn't always start off hot you know with a um a crazy plane stunt from tom cruise or something sometimes it starts slow and you're like i'm not sure i'm going to be into this and it kind of builds on you and that's how when Harry met Sally was for me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm the big action guy on the podcast. So it was definitely a shock, especially like this is a take that I want to I want to hear about from you, Brian. The first time you saw all these old couples just showing up on the screen, telling their story, how they met, that threw me for a loop the first time. I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. Or did you understand what was happening? Because I did not. Yeah, I mean... What I liked about this movie a lot is the simplicity of it. It was, it, it just felt like really simple. I mean, you kind of knew where it was going when Harry met Sally, the title, you, you kind of know what, what, where this is going at the end. They're in every scene and they're on camera together for so much of this movie. And it's just like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of scenes in it. So I thought it was like really, really easy to follow. Um, and I actually love those those little old folks when they're doing their interviews. I thought that was a really great touch from from Rob Reiner. Um, my, my wife Emily, she she looked at me when we were watching about halfway through. She's like, "I got to be honest, this is like the best part of the movie. I love like." And I look over her. She's on her TikTok. She's scrolling, and every single time the couples are are doing their their thing, my wife stops. Emily stops scrolling, and she looks over to see what's going on. So um, I liked it. My wife loved it. Brady, do you have a favorite old couple? Because I know who mine are. 
I'd say my favorite. You know, it's funny. Every time I watch, I, I start it, I always forget that that's an element of the movie, and then it just starts <laughs> with it. And I'm always taken aback. My favorite is probably the old couple who like lived in the same building and didn't know each other. I always like. I always find myself like taken in by that story. I just love it. <laughs> Where, is that the like, the guy who's like? nine extra floors on the elevator and his wife's like nine extra floors it's like that or the i don't know which one's the couple who's like they, they keep on like talking over each other but they're completing each other's sentences i was like that th- those ones absolutely so i didn't have a lot of background about rob reiner before this besides knowing that he plays the dad in New Girl and the dad in Wolf of Wall Street to just radically, he basically playing the same character for just radically different children. And then I knew that he got made fun of a lot on South Park. And, but I didn't really know why. And going back and looking at his director uh, career as a director, this guy's had absolute bangers. Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, Princess Bride, Misery, Few Good Men, uh, the bucket list, I guess, if you want to put that in there. American I mean, president. Th- these are these are bangers. Like, th- what about you guys? Like, Brian, I know you're a Spinal Tap guy. Did you know that, like, this the, the Rob Reiner was behind Spinal Tap and potentially one of the best, like, romantic comedies of all time? Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny for me, personally, with Rob Reiner? I, like, you know, I, I I wasn't a movie buff my whole life, right? So there was a period where I was really into to Joe Dirt, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I was really pumped for Dickie Roberts to come out, and Rob <laughs> Reiner has an amazing cameo in Dickie Roberts. And I was like, who is this guy? So I, I was like, he's so cool. He's in Dickie Roberts, and he's, like, funny in it. So I was like, I wonder what this guy actually did. You know, you look at his IMDb, and he's got so many great movies. I, I love Spinal Tap. In a weird way, when I was watching this movie, I was like, I totally see the same guy who did Spinal Tap did this movie. Something about the way it was shot. Like, I think, again, the simplicity of it and like the duration of the scenes, they almost felt like similar to me, obviously very different movies, but the way at least the director kind of carried the movie, I felt like they were very similar in a way, which is probably the hottest take that yeah, any movie I mean, podcast that ever be had. the hottest but... take we've had throughout the podcast series so far. But... No, I think it makes sense because people always, you know, they always say like who had the best run and like they, they either say four or five movie run and people always bring a Reiner for like the stand by me through a few good men uh, stretch. And I think it is like he was in the pocket for a little bit and then he kind of went out of the pocket and he hasn't really gotten back into it. But like he was in the pocket. I don't I don't know what's my favorite. It's either between when Harry met Sally or stand by me. I think they're both like, like literally Stand By Me might be one of the best, the best one of um, coming of age movies. And then you have like When Harry Met Sally, which is like my ideal romantic comedy. But like, even as you're saying, like the simplicity, like I noticed that, I don't know why, how I didn't notice this ever before. Like the one time he gets really stylistic was one cut in the movie when Harry and Sally decide that they're going to be friends for the first time. He's like, oh, this is the first time I've ever uh, been friends with a woman I didn't want to have sex with. And then it does like a stylistic cut and you see them walking from uh, behind and it's like they're walking away from the camera. And then I then like one they they're watching Casablanca together later. And I realized that they're just doing that same shot where they said this is the beginning, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And then Bogart and Claude Rains walk walk away. That's the same shot. And I was like, oh, he's operating like it's the way the simplistic thing. I don't know how I never noticed that before because it's so obvious, but and like a retrospect, but 
he's doing simple things like complicated things simply i think that's the kind of thing like it's it's when you talk about like someone that can make something complicated look easy and people don't realize it i think that's kind of what's happening with this script with the performances everything seems like very casual it doesn't feel like they're trying too hard but even though you know like they did try too hard for instance like the, the phone call scene where they're all doing it in one take stuff like that it is hard but they make it not look hard and i think that's yeah. like a testament to great filmmaking i agree with that i think there are there are other subtleties about the movie that uh, right off that too i would say the soundtrack is i mean the jazz throughout the movie is such a nice touch and i feel like it's not something that's like in your face. You're going to like really notice it a whole lot when you watch the movie, but throughout the movie, you're like, man, this music is awesome. And it's like, again, it's kind of simple. Um, I, I took a note like right away when they went to the diner, they had uh rambling man by the Almond brothers playing. And I'm like, that is it's just so heady. That is like, I don't know. Ultimately I was like, Rob Reiner seems like a cool guy. Like he's picking <laughs> Almond brothers to play in the diner for this scene. So that's pretty cool. But. Now, actually, I do have my only celebrity sighting uh, other than Linda Hamilton and uh, Jim's Cheesesteaks in uh, Philadelphia. I saw I saw her. She's my one celebrity. My other celebrity is Harry Connick Jr. I saw him in Greenville, South Carolina. He was visiting his uh, daughter, I assume. At, um, and I just look over and there's a group of like a bunch of college girls all at a table. And this at this time, I'm like 22. I look over and I was like, who is this strikingly handsome man sitting at the table? None other than Han Harry Connick Jr. Holding, holding court. <laughs> he lived up. He lived up to it. I mean, now he's like starring in Lifetime movies and stuff. But I think he's and my mom. She played the Harry Connick Christmas CD a lot growing up. I love me some Harry Connick. I'm going to give him props. He, he nailed it in this movie. I think his music has a great texture to it. Yeah. So just real quick, he won the he won a Grammy for his work on the soundtrack for this movie. Yeah, they, oh, really? the movie didn't win like best score or anything like that. But he did win a Grammy for his work on it. That's awesome. So uh obviously three guys talking about it. it might be a little strange but we're gonna do it anyway you mentioned that harry connick was so strikingly handsome when you saw him one of my biggest beefs with this movie was that they make billy crystal seem to be a hunk he's like matthew mcconaughey in his prime like he just can't believe that uh every woman he meets doesn't want to have sex with him and throughout the, the 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 story he's extremely confident in his sexual prowess and he's kind of dating babes the entire time. Everyone he's dating is extremely good looking. Am I really supposed to believe Billy Crystal is like this strapping yeah. man? A hundred percent. He's a hunk. He's a he's a short king. He's a it's it's all dude. Charisma will get you very far. And Billy also, Crystal. he's looking like when he gets the beard going, he's looking like a snack. L listen, I, I I believe I believe it because I feel like Billy Crystal probably did well with the ladies. He's a he's a I think charisma's like huge X factor and he's got it in spades in this movie. I mean, we just did point break with Keanu and uh, Swayze and we talked hair for a long time. Like that, that buffoon hair that he has where he looks like a 55 year old and he's going gray in college and he's making out with the co-ed right there that we're supposed to believe that that's real. Come on. I think this is actually, you're going to get me fired up. I, I feel like something this movie is proof. People always point to like, oh, um, like, the, can you believe he was 40? He's 38, I guess, when they made this movie. He's supposed to be playing college age. Fine by me. Put put a wig on him. Give him big sideburns. I don't need to be him CGI'd young. I don't like what it's like when people talk about uh, Travolta in, um, Jesus, what's his, his most famous? Uh, Greece. In Greece, everyone's like, oh, they're all 40-year-olds playing high school. That's the way movies should be. I don't want to see kids. Kids shouldn't have to work. 
It should all be 40 year old people living life, going crazy. And I think when you have Billy Crystal playing that college age, I buy it from, I don't, I don't doubt it for a moment until someone points it out to me. I didn't even notice. And so you're buying Billy Crystal throughout the rest of the movie being a sexual <laughs> God as some kind of political consultant. We don't really even know what it's his a sick job. Is. He's got a sick job. What, what else do you want? Yeah. This guy's got a cool job. He's got charisma. He's funny. He's got jokes. All right, this is one we're just gonna have to agree to disagree. Well, Brian, what you come on, no, you're not on Brian, you gotta weigh in on me. What do you think? Do you think Billy Crystal has the X Factor in this movie? So I, I think that honestly, if you have uh I, I don't know if it's charisma, I would call it more confidence. I think he was incredibly confident in this movie. And I do think that there's something to be said about that being believable, that somebody that confident could be, you know, pulling beautiful women like this. Um, I do think it was a little unbelievable, like his age, but they casted him for a reason. I think his chemistry with Meg Ryan was just unbelievable. Um, and I think that's what really makes this movie so successful. So it kind of made sense, but it, you know, it, it didn't make sense. I mentioned this earlier. I think it took me about halfway to two thirds of the movie to actually like him at all. Like I couldn't stand him at first. Right. And I don't know. I think his crap, like, I guess in a way crass kind of blunt like humor and philosophies maybe played better when this movie came out i i don't know if they all aged that well i think that some of it maybe was a little too on the nose and i, I was kind of like rolling my eyes at him at times um and i don't i was kind of saving this for later but i might as well get into it now i feel like what made me switch on him though and start to like him halfway through the movie is i feel like a lot of meg ryan's character kind of rubbed off on him and he became softer. He did. He wasn't, you know, this kind of an asshole that he was at the beginning of the movie, in my opinion. And I think that in a way that she kind of like let her guard down and became a little bit more like him too and adopted some of these philosophies. So mm. I feel like that was kind of the magic of the movie is like for me personally, I didn't like him at first. I don't know if the audience always has that reaction to him, especially when this movie came out. I think maybe that kind of humor played a little better. But I think it still works today because by the end of the movie, you do like both characters and you're rooting for both of them. So, yeah, I feel like it's almost like he has a, I don't know if he has a facade up because I feel like he believes what he's saying at first. But his, that's what I really stuck with me this viewing was the transformation, how like clear it is. Is like, like basically the delineation point is like once his divorce happens, he realizes that like everything he was all, he was full bullshit before. True. And then now he has to like grow as a person, I kind of think. And it is, we can get into when we talk about the movie. I, I mean, I don't he believes it, so. it, just like he tells his best friend in the batting cage that he made a woman meow. <laughs> what? That, well, we'll get to it. Let's get into the movie. Let's get into the movie. <laughs> <All> right, <Yeah. laughs> I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because there's a lot of talk about the batting cage. <laughs> oh, trust me. I've got a lot of notes about the batting cage. But yeah, so Brady. Take us in. We're Chicago University setting the stage. Yeah. Well, we start first off. We we do that surprise little start out. We got those the the old people going. So at first you're like, what's going on here? And then does it start out in 1978? That's when you realize like, oh, this movie's fuck. This movie's old because it's like, <laughs> oh, we're like we're in 1978. I do love. This is where I first the first Meg Ryan's hair comment we got to have because her hair is. I, I, I love. There's got to be some hair talk for her. She is the Patrick Swayze of this movie. Because she starts out and she's got like the Farrah Fawcett 70s flow going, blown out. 
loving it for her. I think it I think it plays. Do you know? Okay, no, 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 no thoughts on the hair. Fair, fair no, enough. no, I was gonna, let, I was gonna <laughs> let you finish. I mean, Meg Ryan is so beautiful in my mind. Like she, she's, she's just a, a ten. She's perfect. But like, I'm talking about her hair, John. What do you? Th- what are your thoughts on her hair? I mean, the hair is so. It, it, like you said about Bodie last weekend, it's feathered. It's blown out. It's unbelievable. She looks like a raccoon with the mascara she has on. Like the outfit she's wearing with the the humongous shorts that are like up past her ribs and the long socks and the sneakers, like she's really working the nineteen seventy seven look. Here's my question, off the bat for this scene: When's the last time you guys had a grape that had a pit in it? (laughs) He spits the pit right into the window, and I can't remember a time in my life where I had to worry about that. I'm no produce expert, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't I don't know. I think we've like genetically modified grapes enough where the pits don't get spit out anymore. Like, is this a hot take? I feel like be if grapes had a pit, that. they're not worth it. That's yeah. too much work. Yeah, for no, sure. It's not worth it. I think Brian's right. It would be cherries. And we will get to Meg Ryan's hair throughout the movie because it gets better and better and better. Yeah, that but, okay. I'd be interested to see that, what you think her what her peak is at which in, point. In that same scene has one of my favorite like tropes that you see in road trip movies where they're driving and he's going in the back to get the grapes and he just doesn't even know this girl and he's just like sticking his butt right in her face and she's obviously uncomfortable as he's digging in the back for the grapes. I don't know that that always plays for me in a road trip movie. But he also has maybe the, now we got to talk about Billy's fits because his jeans in this, the bell bottom jeans, they they fit his tush perfectly. I think you guys are <laughs> underestimating the charisma. If you look at what a movie star was back then, there's like like he's kind of in the I, I hate to say the James Con mode. Maybe he's not a James Con, but there's a, <laughs> that's the equivalent I'm thinking of. He's I mean, like, the, the sweaters. And the blazer combinations are amazing. I was more focused on that than the jeans, but, but um, I think they both are very New York style, right? Like New York City, you walk around a block there and, you know, anybody who is a New Yorker, you're like, I've never seen fashion like that, but it works. Like they, they it's a fashionable city for sure. And I feel like both of them were like avant-garde in their fashion choices <laughs> throughout this movie. And it was believable because it took place in new york i don't think they're rocking those clothes in you know oklahoma somewhere well and you know what i think about i'm I'm wondering if maybe the reason that billy crystal is a turnoff to you and that like especially that opening scene right when he's like dropping those gems like i'm i'm deep because i read the last page of a book when i start it in case i die like i think about he's like going on do you think maybe that doesn't read as well for you because you're seeing a 38 year old guy say that as opposed to like an actual 18 year old or i guess you say 22 year old saying something like that which would you'd tell like when a young person says it it's like trying to be edgy when an older person says it it's a little like yeah i don't know i i think i don't know if it's the person saying it and he says it confidently so i do think it's believable i don't think it's like a poor directoral choice or anything however i don't i don't care who you are you could be mcconaughey at your peak and saying some of the stuff that Billy Crystal says, I'm going to be like, come on, dude. Like, well, it it's interesting, too. It. And I wonder, because, like, Sonora Efron writes the screenplay, and I think she's she's just hit. as important as uh, Rob Reiner in this. I think the, the screenplay is, like, one of the huge 
you know strengths of it and i it's funny because you're like you feel like if the the person who grows the most who has the biggest arc would be harry right you know he changes the most and i know that billy crystal had a hand in writing some of the jokes and it was based off he based his performance off uh rob reiner after his divorce like he was like seeing him live this life and i feel like that there's a a quality to it where Sal, like I think this is part of like the perfection of it is like Sally seems very realized, but also Harry seems really realized in a way that you see in a lot of rom coms that maybe don't aren't as successful. Is that the other like one of one of the characters will feel like a trope? He doesn't the other person doesn't feel real. Like Five Hundred Days of Summer, a movie that I really liked when I was younger. I, I have different feelings about that nowadays, but like the summer character, you can tell it's written by a guy who's not giving as as much weight to the summer character probably, right? And in this movie, I feel like Nora Ephron does a great job making two rounded characters that you believe, and they both are flawed in ways that are interesting. And then you see them make each other grow. And I think that's what the romance of it plays. Yeah, and I mean, me not liking him is not me saying this is an unbelievable character. This is a bad Mm -hmm. choice. I think that it was a good choice. And I think, I'm just saying, I think, Maybe the intention wasn't for us to not really like him that much at first, right? Yeah, well, and and it's like, but almost like he does say, like, this is to the screenplay's credit, Sheldon is probably the best name they could have chosen in that scene. You've never had great sex with anybody named Sheldon. Shout out to any Sheldon. I don't know any Sheldons personally. No, Sheldon hate to Sheldon. the Wonder Song. Shout out Sheldon the Wonder Song <laughs> is what he calls him. But like, right, like, just, I mean, we can't gloss over Sheldon the Wonder Song, but, um, Right before that, just going back, Brady, your initial point, I didn't pick this up my first viewing, but when they're walking into the diner, she uh, takes hairspray out of the glove compartment and just sprays up her hair. I guess back in the 70s, you just needed to have it on deck at all times. 100%. (laughs) I think, but so ultimately from this opening scene, it's the whole point is that one, Harry's going to be kind of a jerk and make a move on her, even though he dates her friend. And she he tells her men can never be friends with women because they always want to have sex with them, right? That's the the thesis that Harry plants down at the beginning of the movie. Now, obviously, to get ahead of ourselves, the ending, they get together, right? But it's funny because you can see that I think clearly if I'm in the like Nora Ephron's spot and, and Rob Reiner, they both wanted it, that they didn't end up with each other. And I think, like story-wise, that is that should be where the story goes, right? Like, because men and women can be friends, and that's a more interesting way to end it, right? Right. But once you get them on the screen together, even when they don't like each other, they have such a rapport. You can't ha- you can't imagine ed- ending it another way. I kind of like it, and better. I don't know. I think that's just like, yeah, go ahead, jump. I kind of like it better in the scenes where they still don't like each other. Like, I think the chemistry there is incredible. Like. <laughs> He's just make you know, he's making her say things out loud like, I have had great sex. And like, you know, just she's making him feel like a pig in the car and he doesn't care. And like that whole thing, uh, you know, uh, the, the epitome of this comes a little later where they're on the moving walkway and he's like, I'll just stop. <laughs> and just like she keeps walking and he just stops on the moving walkway. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think that their chemistry drives the flick, of course, but like, it's almost more fun when they're not getting along. There is like they're they're electric when they when they don't like each other to the point like and and, and to round out this opening scene, I have to point out. So they're both arriving in New York, and he says, 
it's a real shame you're the only person I knew in New York, right? Or she says that he either he or she says that. And then he gets out of the car and he has two, he has a luggage bag and like a laundry bag and a baseball bat. Those are the yeah. Louisville Slugger. Those are the three things he brought his entire like this is everything he owns. <laughs> Did he have a baseball mitt? Or is he just DH and <laughs> I think he's just I mean did they jump five? Yeah, they jumped five years in the future, which I love that. Wow, Brian, what was your like? Because you didn't really know the structure was going to be. Were you kind of like surprised when it did that five year jump? Yeah, I mean, again, I think going back to like the simplicity of it, I thought it was going to be like everything is going to take place in a year, and that's how I feel like most romantic comedies are structured, right? Yeah. It's like it's like a year long thing. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a surprise, but I, you know, I thought it made it more believable. And I actually loved the, you know, when they see each other at the airport and you're, you're wondering in the audience, like, okay, are they going to recognize each other? Like what, what's going to happen here? Do you think that he did recognize her and he pretended that's, I think that was my big question out of that. Did he do it on purpose to get her goat or does he actually not remember at first? I don't know. I, I think they both recognize each other. I do. Although she played it off pretty well where she was kind of putting her finger on it. Like, where did I meet that guy? And she figured it out. Um, but he figured it out on the air, well, airplane. And his Wait, look she... at her and him, he, he kind of looks at her in a way like, oh, I know. I know. I remember you. You know, well, like the misdirect too, that he like looks at the guy at first. He's like, oh, you're the guy I know. Yeah. And what I liked about it was because we see her obnoxious order at the diner the first time they hang out. And what he notices about her this time is she orders the Bloody Mary and she's like, with the, give me the V8 juice with a splash of Bloody Mary mix and like blah, blah, blah. And that's when he creeps up from the seat and he's like, I know, I remember you. And he's like, did we? Ah, ah, ah. And she's like, <laughs> no. And like, so that's why I think he didn't recognize her at first because it, but took, I don't know if he was messing with her. It, well, then why would he bring it up in general? Because he's getting her goat. He, he knows that gets her fired up a little bit. I think that's a little bit his his approach with ladies. He's he comes on very strong. I will, but I also want to give a shout out to the guy she's dating, Joe, because that is the he's one of the you know like eras like of movies you'll see they'll have like a character like that who's generic handsome man of that time, and that is the most generic eighties handsome man I've ever seen. <laughs> just he like some, he had some weird hair though too like he, i mean his hair was good but like the it was coming back he had a very bad hairline like he's two years from becoming uh the uh ed harris biff B, uh, old biff in back to the, the future, future too <laughs> he's two I, years from that the goat is is the boyfriend in coming to america though uh, what's his name like Eric Lagrange or something like that I mean yeah. he's got the beautiful the hair that the soul glow like that is peak hair like 80s boyfriend energy right there that's what I'm trying I can't even think of someone who is that nowadays because I feel like now it's a little bit more idiot like idiosyncratic like I like Pete Davidson's a hot guy now oh you know who it is nowadays and this isn't so much nowadays but it would be Bradley Cooper in Wedding Crashers like he's like the classic like you know exactly that character type he's no he's like that air is perfect example of it at that point before he like really broke out yeah um but so so then they 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 do have that interesting it's but i think like this what what is really impressive about the uh, screenplay is where it zigs and zags is like he's hitting on her clearly but then he's like oh by the way i'm engaged 
and you do not expect that at all right you're like wait what he got engaged why is he hitting on her and then he does that whole conversation again where he's like we could be friends and she's like you said we couldn't be friends and then he's like i never said that and i think they do a great job throughout the movie peppering in little things where they remember things different because my life experience now that i'm 31 years old is that people everyone remembers things differently and like you whatever especially if someone that you saw once five years ago like i feel like especially with uh i keep on saying especially but like with billy crystal that guy probably every interaction with women is like kind of that comes on hard like that so it would stick out in her mind a lot more than him probably in the sense that like he, that was just another girl where he was kind of a jerk too. And then he kind of moved on from it versus she was like, that guy was a jerk. I'm, I'm like, and it always stuck with her kind of thing. Cause she yeah. probably like, didn't expect somebody to say that you've never had great sex. So like, that's a really mean thing to say almost. And you knew that probably like messed up her, messed her up in the head for like months. <laughs> but so then we, then we do another, isn't another five year skip, which I love. I like how we're like finally approaching Billy Crystal proper age. And this is the first time we see him with a beard. And I think that's when we're like, he's really come into himself. I don't think he plays as well clean shaven. I'll say it. And this is like two things happen here. One, I think this is when Meg Ryan straight up just gets the Bodie haircut. Like I I think she's doing the exact same treatment. The Bodie is she's just air drying it after dipping it in the ocean. Cause she just looks exactly like him. But the, isn't this also we get introduced to Carrie Fisher? We get introduced to Carrie Fisher, which did you guys have the same experience? Like growing up, saw Star Wars, was always confused why Harrison Ford is everywhere. Never saw Luke Skywalker at Mark Hamill at that point. Now he has a bigger career because he's doing a lot of voice work. I later found out that, but like Carrie Fisher, she didn't really see her around as much. She had her own career doing a lot of screenwriting stuff, being the script doctor in Hollywood. But this is like, I feel like the other movie, I remember seeing it and I was like, that's Princess Leia. Whatever yeah. standard role, I think she's really good in this movie. I think she yeah. and she's doing something different. It shows her range, because I think she's the perfect. Yeah, I I I really like Carrie Fisher, um, and I felt the same way. I think the first time I really noticed her in another movie, it's it to me is the funniest scene in maybe the history of movies. Is is do you guys know what I'm gonna say? Oh. <laughs> Wow, I can't believe I forgot Austin Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. The the group therapy scene. She's she's like the psychologist and she's leading it, which was I was like, oh my goodness, she's she carries that role well. It shows her rage. She's funny in that in that in that scene that she's in. And I'm like, why is she just in that scene for that like brief period of time? This is Carrie Fisher. Like that it was so unbelievable to me. I feel like she just must have had a lot of money and she didn't need to because I know she was doing that and she got more satisfaction out of the writing element. Uh, that's got to be it, I feel like, because people would turn out for her, I feel like. Yeah. She also had some personal issues. Yeah, she had, you know, she had a lot of that going, but she was still writing and stuff. Like she wrote a Postcards from the Edge, which is like uh, Meryl Streep plays her, basically. Uh, her and her mother's relationship because her mother was a, you know, she's singing in the rain and stuff. So what, one thing I wrote down from this scene in particular was when she pulled out the Rolodex and that made me so happy. Like, you know, I, I'm, I was born in 88, so I'm a little too young to like really remember a time where it was like you met up with your girlfriends and you pulled out a Rolodex of dudes that you could potentially date. Like, I wonder, like, was that really like a common thing? Like, and I was thinking to myself, like, kind of, I feel like people probably carry like an address book, maybe not a Rolodex. 
but the Rolodex was amazing. It made me, it made me laugh when I saw that. The yeah. best details when she says, "Oh no, he got married," and then she just folds the corner down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that little detail. <laughs> yeah, or like um, Meg Ryan's like, "Yeah, Joe and I broke up," and immediately she's like, "Joe's available." That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> I mean, the Rolodex, Carrie Fisher's Rolodex is like the, it's the same as like Tinder. She's like just rolling through it, yeah. swiping, <laughs> swiping down or swiping up. Well, it's just wow, because even like I mean. This is like the biggest difference between dating nowadays versus this movie is that Harry and Sally meet, you know, five, like in 1978, they don't see each other for five years. Nowadays, you would connect on social media, maybe, or you meet somebody, you can look them up and see their profile, you know, and see what they're up to or something like that. It's a different world where like the only way you could keep track of somebody is if you have their phone number and you check in. Which again, I don't want to get on the. Um, I'm not going to harp on the <laughs> no internet. We're better. We were better off. I do. I, w- I wish I had a little black book, a Rolodex, all of that. Let's do so much better. I know. We'll start another podcast that focuses specifically on just like anti technology. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. So okay. Well, who's the better best friend here, Terry Fisher mm. or our guy Bruno Kirby? Who at the very next scene we see them at the Giants game, Billy Crystal's explaining that he's getting a divorce and they're still doing the wave. So good. Honestly, you see a lot of sporting events like in movies where you know the, there's a classic one recently with like Natalie Portman in it. Um, she's at like a college football game, but I, I like it's so fun when you see it. Normally it's a ball game. I feel like it's there's no men on football, but it's so cool. You get to see the old Meadowlands. Been there a few times myself. Um, I just love that in a movie. Anytime you see like an actual sporting event going on, my question about Bruno Kirby uh, in this what's his what's his character name again? Uh, Jess. Jess. Yes. Is, yes. Is he, like when I saw him, I was like, "This dude's like working construction." Like, and then he's like, "Oh no, I write for the New Yorker." Later on, I was like, "Real what?" Like, I was I was kind of taken back by that. I was like them at the Giants game you know like I just you know my perception of Giants games like from being there I just I didn't wasn't expecting this like writer from the New York magazine with the mustache and everything like I thought he was gonna be more like a blue collar kind of dude well and yeah I mean we keep teasing it but when he's in the batting cage he looks like someone who played for the Mets in 1983 he does he looks like he looks like maybe a chunkier Keith Hernandez but yeah. he's amazing I think I first off I gotta just shout him out he may be one of the best best friend performances in movies with him because like their dynamic is so good we just drop in because it's kind of a bold move to not introduce him until like at least halfway through the movie and you just instantly buy their relationship that they're best friends where they're like because they're they're also having that heavy conversation where he's like ah she's having also the idea that you're like breaking into the news to your buddy in the middle of the game is sick (laughs) and it's just the the wave is so perfect that they keep on having to stand up he's (laughs) like she's left me for ira the the moving guy knew before you the moving guy knew before me oh yeah it needed the wave like it was like perfect it, yeah the, it needed the wave it needed the levity i think because he's delivering that such harsh update and it would have been kind of a boring way to do it but with the wave it made it kind of funny and kind of it kept, breaks kept up the scene up like adds energy to it and yeah. just like because it's also like how just like the how do you how do you know she left you for someone else 
he's like i followed her to her place and you're like no you see the guy's like no this is horrible yeah so we don't i you know this is precious to my heart because my father's name is ira and i was almost ira the fifth so uh we gotta say this is not when we find ira this is when he finds out that she called the moving company a week ago and some guy said has wearing a shirt that says don't fuck with mr zero <laughs> and bruno goes mr zero knew a week before you <laughs> that's so perfect <laughs> that that's like that that's the kind of genius because you know they must have saw some guy with that shirt around new york at some point or something like that's the only way they could come up with something that good <laughs> like, yeah. um but it's funny because you're like you do hear them like and you, you can see that Clearly, this is like the impetus of the movie happening. Like when you see the like the backstory of Reiner was like trying to come up with a new movie idea. He met with a producer and he's like, I just got divorced. You're like 38. You get divorced. I guess Harry's he's probably supposed to be playing younger. He's probably supposed to be playing like mid 30s, um, maybe 34 or so. Well, but like the idea of like, what? I believe he's playing 30 to 31 at this 32. point because they have that excellent scene where meg meg ryan is crying she's like i'm gonna be 40 and he's like when in eight years yeah. <laughs> yes so i guess now that that also just makes me feel low about where i'm in my life because i am not more, like he's already gotten a divorce out of the way what do i got going <laughs> I'm, I'm single it's a different time it's a different time <laughs> different times but it's funny because you know oh i forget the line the, the most brutal line of all time I don't think I ever loved you. Can you imagine? Like you're already breaking up with him. You don't have to tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, yeah, I love, I, I just totally buy their dynamic. So, but I will say it is a tough call on who's the better best friend character, Carrie Fisher versus Bruno Kirby. They're both bringing the leverage. Yeah. And we're, everybody's rooting for that relationship too. When you see uh, that start to blossom, you're like, oh yes, yes. This is what we <laughs> rules and rules. Um, so then what, what are they, is, it, is the next scene in the bookstore? So yeah, yeah, I mean, they, like, they, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know how much we need to really get into, like, their friendship part. Oh, their friendship is the, that's, I think it's a little interesting, because it's, the question is, at first you're wondering, like, I feel like you believe Harry at this point. He, you can tell he's not doing a shtick to try to get, get with her. He's, like, actually interested in being friends with her. Like, even just, like, their they had that initial uh, lunch, right? Where basically she explains why it didn't work out with um, Joe. Joe. And she's like, oh, I realized, she was like, I was with, uh, the, you know, uh, my friend's kids. And she said, oh, look, there's a family. And she started crying. And you're like, the the, the real, I feel like I, I've, I, I've had conversations with my friends that are like, some of my friends that are girls that were, you know, there's like a weird, a weird societal pressure when you reach like 30 and I mean, I feel some people, I mean, guys feel it too, but I feel like girls are, feel a lot more pressure than, than, than men do just because, you know, the whole biological clock ticking kind of thing. And I feel like just that's where Nora Ephron's really shining right there, where she's like showing a side that at, th at this point in movies, I don't think was being shown as much like the, the female side and the dip, but what works is that Harry's actually listening to her and taking what she's saying into account. And you can tell he, this is helping him grow as a person. He's like thinking outside himself for the first time, maybe. Agreed. I mean, he's a different person than that, that date. He still mm -hmm. has a few, or I guess I shouldn't call it a date on that lunch or dinner, or whatever. He still has a few quips here and there that are like, <laughs> you see the old Harry, but 
you can see him for the first time. He's like just kind of sitting back and listening. Like he, he doesn't listen at all. I think the first like half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, that's when you start to turn on Harry and you start to say like, okay, maybe this guy's okay. Like he's kind of maturing. Yeah. Like, yeah, he needed to have the downfall. Like the, cause that's like maybe the worst breakup I've ever heard is somebody saying, yeah. you find out your wife's leaving you for another man. And she tells you, I'm, I, I don't think I ever loved you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Agent zero comes in and knows before you Gilbert Arenas. yeah but one thing i really liked about this this was they go very quickly from the lunch into like this montage of them becoming friends and like they're walking around you know beautiful new york in the fall with like the Mm -hmm. leaves look perfect and they're talking and like they're doing that thing where he calls her and she's like i'm watching casablanca and he's just like channel and like she tells him what channel he puts it on and they're like talking, which apparently was something that Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal did. They would just sit on the phone with each other and talk while they were watching the same TV show. Huh. Uh, and they put that into the script. It was better. We should never have gotten more than like, at that point, I feel like we probably had like 20, 30 channels. We, that, we were fine. That's all we ever needed. <laughs> we, we didn't need more than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, 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 uh, I, I just think it's a really smart and quick way of getting their friendship and that is up until the pecan pie scene right but i feel like even that but like to the credit of that montage you do not feel like there's like a romantic thing going on per se it really does feel like an organic friendship you buy that like harry doesn't have ulterior motives she's not necessarily falling for him because they're both i think the the smart like this is the structure of the script aligning perfect is that they both go through a really bad breakup at the same time so they're both really not ready to get back into dating. And then they, you know, then we have the pecan pie scene, which that's when Billy Crystal maybe is that his most charming. And it's also like you immediately feel the heartbreak, even though like we do, we are happy that they're friends. We don't want them necessarily to get together at that point. But when she does say, where well, he's like, will you go to the movies with me? I, I won't do the pecan pie voice because I can't do it justice. <laughs> but he's like, well, he's like, well, will, will you go to the movies with me? And she's like, ah, no, sorry, I have plans. He's like, what, do you have a hot date? And she's like, actually, I do. And you're just like, oh, it's like a knife through the heart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's a, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little part. But then, but then does he immediately start dating after that, too? And that's when he, like, talks about the worst date ever. And then he's like, oh, I still slept with her after. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that happens. Quick, then, quick call I mean, out. Sorry. I just got to say that this is Meg Ryan peak wardrobe during that scene, the pecan pie scene. She's got like the tight or like the wasted jeans, like way up to her belly button. She's got the hat. The, the hat is sweet and her hair like is perfect in that scene. I like th- when sh- when I saw that scene, I was like, okay, this is she's bringing the heat right now. She's she's throwing like 102. Well, then he even doesn't line though, that the incredible line. Is that what you're going to be wearing to the date? She's like, yeah, yes. no. <laughs> the best thing you can say to somebody to throw them off their game a little bit. Um, but I think that, that, that this all leads into obviously he's talking about his sex game. And then does the diner scene happen first or does the batting cage scene happen first i think batting cage let's let's do it we all been waiting to get to the batting cage scene i think so i feel like did (laughs) i played little league a little bit um you're a hockey guy mainly yeah i played soccer hockey those things but only a little bit of baseball but i'm a big baseball fan i watched the mets you know were you on the fraternity baseball team 
Yeah, yeah. I, I infamously that. was not allowed on the team by John. Um, he didn't even let me do any practice wings to see what I could get. I, I really wanted to play. I was a younger guy. I said, hey, John, I really w- want to play. And he says, dude, we don't have the time to talk to you. Kind of got like, I got shoo shoot away. You know, oh, so it goes. Yeah. But yeah. Manager. John was a big baseball guy. John, let's tell us, tell everyone a little bit about your, about your baseball career. I mean, yeah, it's just a, baseball was a big part of my life growing up and I, I played it a lot growing up and I've, you know, it's something I've studied and, um, and become very well-versed in watching. And, um, so I found out in my research for this, that Billy Crystal was a ball player and his dad actually played all four years of college at St. John's. And then Billy Crystal got a scholarship to play at Marshall played his freshman year. Then they cut the program and decided to go to back to New York city to be an actor at NYU. But it's almost wow. like a Kevin Costner thing where he always wanted to play baseball or a George Bush thing, if you want to get even crazier, <laughs> where he always wanted to play baseball and then fell into a better job. Um, and so when he was getting in the cage, like, I was like, oh man, we're about to see some power here. And I think, I think the bright lights were too big for him. I don't think he could have ever been a major leaguer because his swing looked decent, but he wasn't making solid contact. He was way out on his front foot. I mean, if you throw that guy a changeup, he's rolling over, like uh, rolling over to the second baseman every time. But I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Bruno Kirby because he actually looked pretty competent too. And maybe that's just a, an era thing is back in the eighties, every man in America, like I read one time that they gave people grenades in World War II shaped like baseballs because every American boy should be able to throw a baseball. And maybe just every American back then could swing a baseball bat. Like now I think if you gave Leo DiCaprio a baseball bat, he'd look like such a dumbass. <laughs> like Tom Cruise. Like I don't know. Like who Tom be- Cruise, no, okay. Well you see clearly you haven't seen Rob Reiner's A Few Good Men, which has a baseball scene with Tom Cruise swinging heavy lumber. <laughs> he's he's not making a lot of contact though. He's athletic. Would you say who has a heavier bat, Kirby or Crystal? Oh, Which one do you I think? Can't. You guys are not very good talent evaluators because I think it's very clearly Billy Crystal is the is the ball player between the two of them. That's what I, I noticed, Billy. I never noticed Kirby until you're Kirby, now you're making me rethink. But also, like Kirby you're, you're a little harsh feet. on Crystal. He's acting too, so he's got a lot of things going on. And he's telling the kid to to piss off as well. <laughs> like I got a whole stack of quarters, kid. Get out of here. <laughs> that's cool. and then the other thing that's just magical about this is they're using wooden bats in a batting cage which is just so dangerous and out of date like maybe dangerous. back in the 80s it plays dude it could it's well one it's not good for business because those. Dude, well, you think he's break. buried bonds he's gonna shatter the ba- the bat do you know how easy it is to shatter i shattered a, a wooden bat at age nine Look like, at you showing off. Is that, that's what I was talking about. I knew you were going to bring, bring up some, some gems. <laughs> all right, all right, whatever. You're but Asian, anyway, so he does. He has a really good swing. I was just impressed that Kirby's wasn't terrible is what I'm getting at. But then I do want to get into, because this is just a Billy Crystal thing, his sports life. He actually produced 61, which I think is an incredible made for, I think it's the best made for TV sports movie I've ever seen. Um, Huge. And I know, Brian, this pissed you off. Huge Yankees fan, even though he wears the Mets uh, hat all throughout City Slickers. Um, he he actually is a part owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, 
but possibly the the weirdest thing about it is he's a Clippers fan. And that's the biggest red flag of all time. He's been a Clippers season ticket holder since the 80s. Like, first off, just stay in your lane like Spike Lee and just be a Knicks fan. You're born and raised in New York. Be a Knicks fan. Own the garden. But if you're going to go all Hollywood, like, you know, Hollywood Jack Nicholas or something like that, like, you have to go Lakers. If you're a transplant, you've got. Let me go to bat for Billy. What if what if he's looking Jack Nicholson's courtside every Lakers game? You're not going to be better than Jack, right? He owns the Lakers. This is, if we're looking back in the 80s, right? Billy can own the Clippers. When Billy Crystal walks in the arena, he's the king. Maybe that's maybe that's the angle. So yeah. I wonder. I don't know enough about Billy Crystal. Maybe he moved to LA in the 70s, and the, that's like when the Clippers became a franchise. Like I could maybe give him that. But they've been a joke forever. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, Bruno Kirby Boy, could own the Clippers. Like, Bruno Kirby could be the guy courtside at the Clippers game. No one cares. It's <laughs> about, you even said this to me the other day when we saw Jack at the Lakers playoff game, that it's about the purple and the gold and the championship banners and the Laker girls and everybody else. Like, dude, the Clippers are like, they're they're this step, like, they have the... The, the, the Lakers are in the master bedroom and the Clippers are like in a studio apartment above them in the same arena. No one cares about the Clippers. Dare I say the outhouse. But I think that what I got to give him credit is if you start in the 80s and you've maintained, he's not a bandwagon fan. At least we got to give him that. He's he's wrote it out. Give him. Yeah. Pre- but even like back to the, the, the baseball scene itself. Is this like the idealized friendship we've always wanted as adults? Just the guy to go to the cages with? <laughs> like absolutely like i guarantee this wasn't the type of conversation me and my buddies that were like 12 were having at the batting cage but like being like i I made a woman meow while you're taking hacks like it doesn't get any better than that and like not saying it like as a joke she's dead straight serious and to brian's <laughs> point there's like a nine-year-old standing behind him that's probably gonna go home and be like what does it mean to make a woman meow dad <laughs> Speaking of meowing, I guess should we finally go to the most? Fa- I would say this is the most famous scene of the movie, the deli scene, right? Cat's deli. Yeah. Yep. Go to New York. There's a little plat. There's a little sign above the seat. Um, have you guys been there? I have. Yeah, me too. It's it's a magical place. I mean, it's amazing. I love I love Reuben. I love corned beef. It's just good stuff. Uh, pastrami. It's so good. It's such a fun place. It. I don't know. You know, we're not doing ad reads, but I would do an ad read for Cat's Deli all day. You go and you pay like twelve bucks, and you get the biggest sandwich ever. And really, what they give you is a sandwich for two people. Like it's not meant to be eat by eaten by one person. The conditions are are fire there. It, it. It's just a magical experience. I feel like, you know, like if you've never been to New York City in your life, I would tell people like. Go to Cat's Deli. Like it's, it's like almost like a must. It's like a rite of passage. Like don't go to Times Square, please don't. Just go to Cat's Deli. <laughs> I think it plays. I think it like. There's a level. The moment the scene opens, right? We're in the Cat's Deli. You just see the characters. There's New York characters all about, right? Like that real, uh, crowded restaurant thing. And then once they start the conversation, obviously, you know the. Uh, the the reveal I, this is one of those things where 
before this, was it like an, an unknown thing that guys hadn't even considered as a possibility? Or did it like, did this reveal it to everybody? That kind of thing. I wonder that because obviously we can't time machine it. I don't know. I think that this, I think it raised awareness. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I, I think everybody had the suspicion, but I think it raised awareness. <laughs> but no, this movie actually kind of introduces a lot of kind of cultural things like, the idea of like high maintenance and low maintenance and um, the transition gal, I guess, or girl or guy too. you know, That's like really good point. Th these are things that like this movie, like culturally actually kind of embedded too. And I think it's funny too, because they said when the, when they first screened the movie, the women were dying laughing during the scene and the men were silent. Yeah. <laughs> Just shook. So I think maybe the men were shook. It was like something you kept deep inside yourself, but never vocalized. <laughs> like, a, like a little scratch in the back of your head you didn't want to tell the boys you're unsure of <laughs> so at the very end you knew there was going to be some kind of one-liner to close that scene out from from one of the patrons at at the deli and it was the perfect line but she said i'll, I'll have what she's having i was like well i was like something cordy's gonna happen here like it's it's probably not gonna be funny it, like it's so predictable but then Wait, it actually so was such a good line that it made me so didn't happy know that was coming no, I didn't know she was going to say that. I knew oh. a line was coming. I knew so, like some kind of joke was coming, but it was oh, a okay. great I line. didn't know if you had seen the scene all the way through. Because that, like, that, the first time I saw this movie, yeah, I had seen it. Like, the scene all the way through. So I knew that that was, like, the punch at the end. So that's incredible for you not that's to perfect. have that spoiled. It yeah. pays out like a slot machine. And, and then, like, then the little gem that it was actually Rob Reiner's mother who delivered the line. <laughs> it's so good yeah. billy crystal just came up with it on the fly because they they were like to to their credit they realized the movie had become more uh hairy focused because they kind of like which i think was just from the movie coming out of reiner's divorce and they're like we have to give sally some more like stuff to chew on and they give her this scene and, and then meg ryan's like what if i like just go for it yeah and she like nails it it's incredible it's so funny and she's like brings it well i read that she the idea i don't know maybe i don't they said, know like she was her, according and this is like wikipedia research they like yeah they just maybe yeah it was her it was definitely meg ryan who's like i should just do the fake orgasm and then i think it works too because like also billy crystal's reaction where he's like because she the, the slow build where you're like wondering like how far she's going to take it and then she takes it all to the next level and just keeps going <laughs> and for well, it to land like that we also talk about how these characters go through like a transformation and this was the first time that we saw billy like vulnerable and like embarrassed where he had embarrassed her so many times throughout the movie that's a great point it's a turning it is like all these little turning points that happen they're growing yeah. they're both growing as people because I feel like the thing with that with Sally is that like she's not like like they were there once you see them friends and they're on this like starting to get equal playing she does start riffing with him they're cutting up it's like uh, like you, you just want to hang out with these people right they're like you know she's like in which actually leads into things are going so smoothly and then they're at the uh, mall and they start like singing Oklahoma or something on the thing and she's like. <laughs> What I love about Sally is that he starts singing in it and he's doing like Billy Crystal. He's like hamming it up, singing the song, good, all gung ho. And he holds her the mic and she just goes right into it. She's she's bringing it fastball. And then, you know, everyone's been there. He looks over and he sees his ex-wife, which the ex-wife is perfect casting. That's like the the uh, she's like literally the, like the Joe version 
of like 80s attractive women <laughs> like like that she shows up with like the blown out hair and Ira Ira it's I have a take maybe I shouldn't even say it but like it's almost worse if like an ex gets with someone like unattractive or something because then you're like oh they, they, they just have a better personality than me it's like it adds like another layer to it yeah I mean not to get super far out ahead of it but like this exact this exact same thing happens when Meg Ryan finally has her breakdown. It's because Joe got married and he said he was never going to get married. So that's just like the ultimate kick in the dick when someone's like, this just isn't for me. And then they find that with somebody else. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you have Billy Crystal, who's allegedly, according to Brady, some sex icon. But also he's got all the charisma in the world. And she dumped him in front of Mr. Zero and everybody to go hang out with a bald guy named Ira and like Ira that's just you never get dumped for an Ira I gotta say one of my biggest regrets is not uh being late to this movie not knowing it until uh into my 30s because you know growing up I did have a father named Ira and it's just such a missed opportunity with that line you know go to a baseball game and you go 0 for 3 with a strikeout and you did that in front of Ira or like, you know, you got to tell your boys like, oh man, like later tonight I'm going to have to open up the report card and show everybody that I got a D plus in geometry in front of Vira. And it just, you know, it would have been awesome. And they're not, we're not knocking bald men because I'm sure someday I'll be there myself. We're all, it's all coming. It's the, the tide that's slowly going back mm-hmm. for us all. But like, it is funny that like, I will say best case scenario is being caught with Meg Ryan when you run into the X. Not a bad look. <laughs> yeah. that's true if he was by himself singing karaoke <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's when you like go have an intervention <laughs> you're the sharper image by yourself singing karaoke also dude bring back sharper image oh my goodness when i saw that i was like oh goodness i missed this days like so much better than brookstone no offense we'll take any uh we'll take any brookstone advertisements they want us to do but sharper image is like peak america just Dude. like yeah, if you look at what was in the shop, it was just like knick electric knickknacks. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically. I mean, I but mean, also it was like a bricks and mortar. Remember Sky Mall? Those catalogs you got on the air uh, in the on the airplane. It was like a it's like a bricks and mortar uh, Sky Zone. Yeah, Brady. It was like a there were like robot dogs that you could also turn into a shower CD player. Like <laughs> it was unbelievable shit. Well, I feel like sharper image. The, but the, the, to your point, Brookstone was the successor, but do they still have those in malls? I, I think they like they went bankrupt, but there there was one in Pentagon City Mall for a long time <laughs> near me. I, I think I they're gone now. Because like that like $6,000 chair that like massaged your whole body. Exactly. That's the only reason you went in there. You go in there for the massage chair that like a thousand people sat in a day just soaking up sweat. <laughs> just like. I live for Brookstone, man. I, I like love stuff like that. I get I get in trouble because I buy so many like novelty items. I would I'm like a sucker for a Brookstone or a sharper image. I feel uh, that. I feel it's someone, oh so yeah. So I guess we the next scene we get into is that she calls him up and it t- again t- a testament to the, like how Billy Crystal's grown. Like he's you feel like he's more like a, a like a grown person now. She calls him up crying and she's like Joe's getting married to someone else after she's been very clear that she's like doesn't care about him actually we did miss one scene the wagon wheel coffee table before it <laughs> well i mean i that, need to know yeah. was the coffee table that bad 
Yeah. I feel like a bozo because I was bad. like, I think it plays. Yeah, it was bad. Unless it was a wagon wheel from the set of City Slickers, I don't, I don't think it works. <laughs> we don't have to get too deep into it, but they do have that big argument where Billy Crystal. That's a good. I, the reason I, I didn't want to skip it was that like outside the apartment, the like he gets in a huge argument with her where she's like, "You don't even care about Joe. You don't even, you know, this and that." And then he it ends with him saying, "I'm sorry." And you're like, I feel like that's one of the most touching moments of the whole movie when you're like, oh, okay, because you know what he's saying. He's 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 lashing out. He's being mean because he feels like you know he feels bad because he saw his ex wife. So then she calls him up after saying she's she's over her her ex or whatever. She said, "I'll be." He he, he says, "I drops everything." He said, "I'll be there in, in a minute." Goes over there, and this is like the moment in the movie where everything could go wrong if they don't play it right. And a lesser movie maybe wouldn't have done it. But the whole idea is that, like he's consoling her and he keeps on like kissing her on the forehead. And then they finally, they start making out. And then they just do the cut to Billy Crystal. She's like cuddled up on him and Billy Crystal's eyes are just wide open. <laughs> just like the, what have yeah. I done situation. Yeah, it's, oof. He immediately regrets it. And it's especially tough because he, she's, he's got that, quote somewhere between 30 seconds and all night or whatever is your problem and he just he's literally like broken down like this is good this is what happens with all women for him and he's found himself the reason he didn't want to do it is because they have such a great friendship you're risking the friendship at a point where he doesn't think you know i just think they play it well where she doesn't really get it she wakes up and he and like you're on you're also with her where you don't understand where what's where he's entirely at she wakes up the bed's empty and you're like oh did he just leave in the middle of the night then she looks up and he's getting dressed and he's like let's have dinner later i have to go to work you have to go to work we don't have time to talk now but then he like kisses her on the forehead which is like the perfect level of mixed signals where you don't know like if you kiss her on the lips that's a lot clearer of a message what are you thinking are you, brian i see it are, well i'm asking you are are you taking it are you convinced that she is into him after that too or do you think she also thought it was actually a mistake i think immediately after she's all in because she's cuddling up on him right like she's like she looks like a cat she's like you know like stretching out she's like literally like her arms over him and i think when she wakes up and she sees the bed's empty that makes her realize this was a bad idea and then she was like i don't think i think it sets in with her she gets to where billy's going like but just not as quick. I think it's like a more of a smover where she has a realization of, oh, because I think she was like more in the moment than he was. Because maybe he, I mean, we, we'll have to throw it out there. Maybe he's just really good at sex. <laughs> yeah. I do also love the, the phone call where they do the four, the four way where they each have separate lines, which again, I love the idea that people have separate lines and they're in the same bedroom because they both have jobs. So they'd have different, and then they're all doing it and they all did it in one take and it took them like a thousand takes to do it. Um, and, it, and it totally plays where like everyone is, the timing's so perfect. Every like, because you're, it doesn't, it's not an organic conversation. I'm sure if you just stripped them each, it doesn't make sense. But that's like a masterwork. That's another thing where they made something look really easy, which was like the most complex thing an actor could ever do, right? Um, but yeah, then they have that awkward dinner and she's like, I just hope that I'm the, that's the best line, the leading up into the dinner. He says to his friend, I just hope I'm the one to say it's a bad idea. I hope that she, sorry. She says, I hope that he's the one, I'm the one to say that first. I'm getting it all mixed up in my head. He doesn't want her, he wants her to say she's not, basically what happens is what they both preferred. 
Yes. Correct. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if I said that cleaner, it would make more sense. I like that. It's a perfect lead up into it where he's like, I just hope that she breaks up with me first. And she says, I hope that um, I get to break up with him first. There, I said it. Um, that's why I'm not an actor and I could not do that telephone scene. Um, so then uh, after the breakup, they have their wedding, right? And they're like thanking everybody for, and that's another, that's a perfect screenplay thing where they're at the nadir of their relationship and they have to stand on an altar at the same time because they're the best man and the uh, maid of honor. They have that argument. Now, do you think they have the 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 yelling, screaming match in the uh, kitchen, which I love. She slaps him. Great slap. The slap warranted. Great slap. Oh, warranted for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. After the way he handled the dinner situation, it could have even been a kick in the balls. Like, definitely warranted. Well, what he said, it was well written, though, because what he said was, I think, I don't think he was 100% wrong. It was more the delivery of what he said and the harshness of it that warranted the slap. So he was in the wrong, but I, you know, you could also sense why he would say that and feel that way. So it wasn't like he was just a complete jerk. I think there maybe was some credence to what he was saying. I can't remember. Well, what like, means, but. And I get where he's coming from. It's not just simply that he's not interested, not necessarily he's not interested in Sally. It's their friendship and relationship is so strong that they can't like, it's not like they're just going to start casually dating. They'll, yeah. They already have a relationship there. So it's going to be like, we'll probably get married. So that's obviously a big leap. Yeah. And he, that's why he gets like, kind of like, I feel like he gets all turned around. Cause he's like, I love the, I love her, but do I want to like spend the rest of my life with her? And he's kind of like going back and forth. And then you can see it start working when he does the, the incredible, all the apologies where he's like trying to call her and she won't answer. And he's leaving the great voicemails. And then it leads up into the uh, incredible, um, like, which you know is going to happen. You leave the voicemail, not, not expecting someone to answer and they answer at the last moment. So then you actually have to talk and you do not expect that you're going to have to talk. He blubbers his way through it. Also during that scene, he's shooting on the basketball hoop. I love that. One of the things in the sharper image, he had the mini basketball hoop. And he's like, I got to get that. <laughs> one of them was like, was that the first mini basketball hoop <laughs> that was ever like commercially sold? <laughs> like yeah, blow dude, people's he, minds. he misses. So he definitely didn't have the scholarship to Marshall to play hoops. <laughs> that way. And also, oh, they also have that little nice detail, too, that where you see Sally's alone, where you have the great, this is like that perfect moment where you see them buying the Christmas tree together, and then you see them, her by herself, having to carry it, and she has to, like, drag it by herself, and you're like, ah, oh, why can't they get together? And then we finally have, I think, any movie, I don't know why mo more, this is a cheat code, if any movie does a montage of scenes from the movie in it, I'm always sold at the end of the movie where they have the thing where Harry's like alone on New Year's Eve. He always said that if we're, if we don't have a date on New Year's Eve, we'd spend it together. And she's like, Harry, I can't do this. Hangs up on him. And he's sitting there and they just do the whole, like all the little nice moments of them together, just like laughing, all the laughs, all like the, their whole relationship. So you see it all this whole 10 year period. You're feeling it. And then he starts running again, any movie that has someone running, at the end of the movie to go somewhere it plays you can't get yep. a taxi it doesn't work if he's in a taxi <laughs> it's gotta so, be this is where billy crystal does look like an athlete to me like he, <laughs> he's running he looks good he's got a good gait and everything he's he's running nicely in this scene i was gonna say yeah he does and he uh he, he you know maybe it's not tom cruise running but it's very definitely up there 
But uh, the one thing that my girlfriend pointed out was that he kind of looks a little like Vince Vaughn when he runs and puts his head back. <laughs> Is it the curly hair? <laughs> it might be the curly hair, but just yeah, he's got a Vince Vaughn thing going. Yeah, and just then like, they're doing that great because they put like, like a whole foot shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I also love, like, it's, like, the genius thing. This is the magic of movies where, like, they, he doesn't have to be there at midnight. They, like, they have the rest of their lives, theoretically, for him to show up. But you know it's got to be because they're cutting to her at, like, the New Year's Eve party where she's talking to that boring guy. And she's like, I'm going to leave. And that's when you know it's low. When she's, like, two minutes out from midnight and she's like, I'm going home. That's when you know, like, your New Year's Eve is shot, right? And Billy's just running. You got, like, I don't – I feel like it's Sinatra playing and not Harry Connick Jr. during this moment, unless I was, I was trying to decide who it was, which is crazy because they have different sounding voices, but it's playing Dick Clark's rocking new year, new year's Eve going. And then we have that incredible speech. Anytime you can have a proclamation. And I think the best, maybe the best moment in the movie is when he's talking about all the things he loves about her. And he says that, that little, like, I love the way you're, above your nose crinkles when you whenever you get like your face gets like that and then they cut to meg ryan and she's doing that yeah which is just like again magic movies just like you can't write that it has to be, it just has to be there I, I don't know if it's true again but i read that that was that was improv i think some of the things he said he just he he, he actually improvised i believe it i feel yeah. like it has to be especially something like that right like yeah it's so specific and like i feel like I don't know about you guys when he gets to this moment where he's going and he's going, I'm getting the, the, the chills are rolling up. And then when she hits him with the, I hate you. And she says yeah. it like multiple times and ends in a whisper. Like, I hate you. And then they just start, they do the new year's kiss and it gets me. I, I just feel that's like, that's the warm blanket feeling. That's where I feel like I, I, I feel safe. I'm in my comfort place when that happens. Yeah. I think that's the type of thing that makes this movie so special. Like, you see a romantic comedy or like a romantic drama on like the Hallmark channel or something. They're not writing in like, I hate you as the response to somebody professing their love. I think that that's what makes this movie really special is that it, it doesn't do what you'd expect. And most romantic comedies do exactly what you'd expect. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which is funny because like, there's so many movies that are derivative off this movie, but yeah. they don't have the magic of it. They don't have the chemistry, the Agreed. the screenplay, you know, all those things that make it like, like it seems formulaic, but in, in, but I feel like it surprisingly swerves in a lot of ways while also hitting the traditional notes of a romantic comedy that have always been around, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I get to that final speech. It just, I just, it moves me. They kiss, we've been waiting for it they're finally together and then full circle they're one of the couples being interviewed at the end which is like a perfect little capper because how i mean you could have ended on that and it would have been perfect but the the whole little them telling stories because then you realize like oh this whole movie has been just like you realize like every couple that you've seen throughout this have everyone every married couple you see has some form of the story like this right like when harry met sally it's when anybody meets anybody they yeah. have like all these things. So many things have to happen. Coincidences, chance, and then chemistry rules the day. Maybe maybe it's not chance. Maybe there's other, who knows, love. Uh, I know uh, Brian's a big interstellar guy. The only thing more powerful in the universe than like quantum space is love. Maybe, maybe that's what's happening in this movie. But we find out they're married three years later. They bring the movie full loop and then 
that that hence we have the titular when Harry met Sally. The end. Very good. I mean, yeah, uh, excellent synopsis. I think we hit on a lot of the major plot points there. Um, and just a lot of the stuff in general that uh, made this movie so great. Um, Brady, I know we had a segment last week that we added in about putting this movie with another movie. <clears throat> Let's do that and uh, get to the scores. Uh, the, the segment is called Double Feature. And the double feature for this uh, week I was I was going back and forth. I was thinking of like I was thinking maybe the shop around the corner, which is the original. You know, we got mail was a remake of that with Jimmy Stewart back in the day, and that's a great one where like they don't like each other at first and they come around to each other. But I I don't know if we'll ever get a chance to talk about this movie. Maybe we will in the future. Meg Ryan, Joe versus the volcano. It was her follow up directly after this movie. When I realized that was like that was the next movie. I love this movie. This is her first pairing with Tom Hanks. It's a really like kind of out there romantic comedy, but basically a guy finds out he's dying. Tom Hanks finds out he has like a drone desk job. He finds out he's dying of a rare disease and he accepts a financial offer to travel to a South Pacific Island and throw himself into a volcano on behalf of the superstitious people who live on the Island. So it's a guy traveling to a volcano to throw himself in a volcano. And Meg Ryan is the love interest, but she plays like multiple characters almost in it. I feel I feel like it's like really good. It's a really underrated movie. It's another movie that hits me in the feels because it's all it's bigger than just like it's not necessarily like it's about like the meaning of life. It's one of those movies, and maybe we'll cover it someday in the future. I know, but I just I think it's a, a movie that's not talked a lot about. It's maybe my favorite Tom Hanks Meg Ryan pairing. I know there's wow. other. I, I I love Sleepless in Seattle, so I I I, I, I shout out to Nora Ephron once again. But I think that's a good pairing for this one. I'm not even making a joke. I think that that might be like the perfect movie title. Like it, it's yeah. my interest. I've never heard of it, to be honest with you. You'd love it. I think you so love much. It. Like I want to see Joe versus the volcano. That sounds like such a cool movie. There's no movie like it. It has like that very specific tone that like, it's just, and it just works. And then when you get to the end of it, you're just like shook. You're like, Oh, it's like for a run. It's a rom-com that pulls that off. It's like, it's incredible. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll definitely be checking that out this week. And um, yeah, time to get to our scores. And we'll start with Brian. Brian, first time watching the movie. What'd you think? Um, I thought, I mean, I thought it was great. I guess what I appreciated most, one thing we haven't talked too much about is the setting in New York. I don't, you know, there are so many, so many movies that take place in New York. And it would be fun to do like a top 100 New York City movies. Something about that city, I think, is just perfect for rom-coms. And there's a reason why so many romantic comedies since this movie take place in the city of New York. Ones that you forget about quickly because they aren't very good. But still, the city is just such a great showcase for it. I mean, the whole time I felt like I was in the same universe as Home Alone 2. And I felt <laughs> like Macaulay Culkin was going to run around the corner during one of those scenes. But um, so I love that aspect of it. I also think that this movie kind of had like, um, for lack of a better way to put it, like a like a love stinks kind of mantra. It felt very real to me. Like it's not all rainbows and, and butterflies. You know, it, love can be tough and difficult. And sometimes the person that is right next to you is actually the person that you should be with, which is kind of a good story. The other thing I like about it is like the New York City dating scene 
is like this like it's actually believable that you would make such good friends with somebody of the opposite sex and then you know 15 years later you realize that you actually like really like each other or 10 years whatever it is to me like that's so real just because it's such a difficult dating scene and it's like you could make friends a lot of friends and then you know this could actually happen where i don't think this happens in a lot of other settings so i thought those were all kind of cool aspects of the movie that i i really appreciated so i guess just to to get to it I think I would say that this is the goat romantic comedy, even though this is the first oh. time I've seen it. I mean, I like romantic comedies. I think what I appreciate it about it the most is that this feels like it created a new genre. Like I'm sure there are romantic comedies before this. I'm, I, I'm not studied enough in film to know those, but it feels like the like modern romantic comedy since like 1990 sleepless in Seattle on this movie created that genre. And that's why I would say it is the goat. And I, I think special shout out again to Nora Ephron because this was her writing. And then she had Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail and all these others that I think spun off just huge money-making films for, you know, up to today. I mean, they still make a lot of money with rom-coms. And I kind of feel like this movie is like the original. It's the one that all of those movies need to salute to. Not necessarily because it's so good, but I think because there are so many original ideas in it. So I will say it, it's the the OG and the GOAT. All right, I'll go next. And um, yeah, I thought this was extremely smart. It, the, the, the screenplay is extremely smart. The way it was directed is very clever, um, innovative. I just love the fact that there were so many callbacks to Casablanca throughout the entire thing and just callback after callback. The the relationship between uh, the friendship, like the two friendship relationships I thought were excellent. Carrie Fisher and Meg Ryan and Bruno and Billy Crystal, just like they, they were just so perfect the way that like guys talk to each other and like where they're comfortable talking to each other. Like they're, you know, they're comfortable at the Giants game or they're comfortable at the batting cage. And like the, the, we talked about Carrie Fisher's like Tinder, Tinder, uh, little uh notebook that she was working with there and that was just brilliant and and then i just you know i loved the relationship between the the two best friends that come together as well and so i am going to say that the second time around i thought this was even funnier than the first time um so i'm going to say this is the goat rob reiner for me and go not the goat pre-2000 rom-com and i'm breaking it off there because there's only one other rom-com that i like better than this movie and i'm gonna save not gonna spoil what that is because i think it might be coming up in a few weeks here but yeah excellent experience super glad every time i watch it brady you uh you pick this one take us home and then we'll we'll talk about what we're gonna do next week i'd say um i'm gonna obviously I'm leaning towards the goat. Now I'm trying to decide if it, like I can say it's the goat rom-com because I do love rom-coms. I think like there's and there's, there's great ones in every era. Like like the Philadelphia story is one of my favorites. Um there's like modern, there's the more modern one, but I I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with you and I'm gonna say it's my goat Rob Reiner. I think maybe if I watch Stand By Me, I will have I I will change and I'm due for rewatch. I think that'd be a great episode someday. Um, 
but I feel like I just the, the the reason it's that whole thing of returning to this movie. It's a movie that I can regularly return to, and it doesn't get stale. Like I I, I didn't mention like I, I watched this last night. My plan was I I put it on to fall asleep. I thought I was gonna watch the first thirty minutes last night. I put it on at midnight. I was like I'll watch it for the first thirty minutes, fall asleep, and then I'll watch the rest tomorrow. I stayed up till two a.m. I I had to watch the whole thing. I couldn't I couldn't turn it off. Which for a movie I've seen you know several times that's unique that like I, I just got I get drawn into and I rewatched it kind of recently I'd watched it only a couple months earlier so the the idea that like it still gets me like it's it, it works as a comedy it works as a romance like on those separate levels which a lot of movies have one or the other and I think actually I'm taking back my Rob Reiner because I we don't know about the same on me I'm gonna say it's my goat Billy Crystal wild take goat Billy I know I know Brian's a big city slickers guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going with the, that. And I'll say Rob Reiner. I'm saying, but it, it's I'm saying it's it's hitting goats on multiple levels for me. I really think this is a really solid movie and it kind of like epitomizes what we're going for with this as far as like this is what I want out of the out of the genre. This is the best of of that when I go to watch this kind of movie. All right. Excellent. So Couple. Is there, anybody have I gotta any say yeah, one thing before we sign off, I I'm surprised we didn't get to this. Did you guys see the the casting what ifs for this movie? No, no. I didn't hear this. So I mean, I think I looked at uh, Good Housekeeping has an article about this movie, so that's my source. So I don't know if uh, it's reputable, but Good Housekeeping, you can thank them. They wrote they had Tom Hanks, and this is actually true. Tom Hanks was offered this movie, he turned it down for something else. I'm sure he saw the success and he was like, okay, I'm gonna do Sleepless in Seattle. Um, <laughs> Michael Keaton, which okay. this is coming off Beetlejuice, which to me would have been amazing. Like, right? I mean, to do this movie, I guess, I, I, guess, I think it would be after Beetlejuice, right? Right after Beetlejuice just shows how much range Michael Keaton would have. Um, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Different movies. I feel like Keaton and Crystal, those make sense. You can swap those guys out. They had that similar like manic energy. Tom Hanks at that point, I don't see it's a different movie, right? He's yeah, a little bit it's more romance. It's less comedy, I feel. Yeah, not exactly. that he's not he's, funny, but he's more like like likable. Like he wouldn't be as bra- abrasive in the beginning, right? You don't buy the arc as much per se, because you're like, even though I say that, but you got mail. My maybe I'll, I'll say it. I have a little problem with that movie. I think he's really unlikable the whole movie. I think his character is nuts. He shuts down Meg Ryan's bookstore and then she like falls for him. I'm like, you put you shut down her beloved bookstore. That's crazy. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but yeah. And then I got one more for you, which I, I think actually probably would have worked, um, despite the negative press that he's had recently, is Bill Murray. Ooh. And I say it could have worked because yeah. this movie, I think, is a lot like Lost in Translation. I mean just pure, not like the plot is a lot different but i think the characters in a way are similar like you know so I, I i don't know i think maybe again maybe bill murray always wanted to do something like this and that's why he got into lost in translation but he's like yeah his like stripes persona scrooged like that kind of era i could see him he I, again i make sense where you could see him doing the evolving i i but i will say all those names you know i'm the biggest harrison Ford guy in the world i think billy crystal's the guy this is like a perfect movie for that. How difficult of a time would they have had making Bill Murray look like a believable college student at the beginning? <laughs> <laughs> just the hairline, just outrageous. Yeah. So next week, episode four, uh, we're going to do, it's my pick again, and we're going to do 
one of the five uh, movies that I've seen the most. Um, we're going to do Whiplash. So everybody get your drumsticks out. Get ready. Um, it's going to be a wild one. And uh, thank you guys for listening once again. We're uh, sponsored by Nell's Supply Company. And uh, we hope to see you next week. Thanks a lot.